As a young boy, I had a close friend that lived in my neighborhood, and her name was Elizabeth. And I loved going over to Elizabeth's house. Sorry, Rachel, to make you jealous this morning. But I constantly remember after school each day begging my mom if I could go over and hang out with Elizabeth. Now, I really, really liked Elizabeth's toys, not really Elizabeth. In fact, Elizabeth had the greatest toy of all, a very masculine pink Barbie Power Wheels Jeep, very similar to this little pink Austin Mini you see behind you on the stage. I was gonna ride the Mini up to stage this morning, but then I realized that I was way too big to actually fit, and the battery is dead, so I had Pastor Nathan, my lovely assistant, carry it up for me. Now, I was friends with Elizabeth, not really because I particularly liked Elizabeth. I was friends with her because of what she gave me, what she provided me access to. Now, Elizabeth, if you're watching on the live stream this morning, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And um, you have to admit that was a really nice Jeep. It was a really nice Jeep. Now, friends, we laugh, but I don't think that I am the only one that approaches relationships sometimes in an unhealthy way. I don't think that I'm the only one that approaches relationships selfishly, in fact. Actually, that's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. What we're going to look at is a group of individuals, a multitude, approaching the Son of God. And they're approaching Him for the wrong reasons. They're approaching Him out of their own selfish gain. And we're going to see an interaction between Jesus and this multitude. And I think we're going to find it very interesting what Jesus has to say to them and to us when we approach him in the wrong way. So where are we at in the scriptures this morning? Well, Jesus has just performed his greatest miracle. It's one of the few miracles that's found in all four gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Now we know that Jesus, he fed 5,000 men, but if you include the women and children, it was probably more like 20,000 people got fed by Jesus. And right after Jesus feeds this multitude of people, he does something that he's very good at in the New Testament. He disappears, and nobody knows where Jesus went. And there's a mad dash to figure out what happened to Jesus. Where did he go? And we pick up the story with this group of people, this multitude seeking him out. In fact, these people, they're going to walk eight miles from Tiberias on the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee all the way to Capernaum on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And not only is a huge group of individuals going to be walking to find Jesus, but another group is going to be rowing across the Sea of Galilee, thousands of rowboats. Can you imagine the sight? The people rowing feverishly all to find Jesus. And what we're going to see today is when they find him, Jesus has some challenging words for the multitude. And by the end of John chapter 6, the entire multitude is gone. They all walk away. The only ones that remain are the 12 disciples. 
And what we're going to see is the multitude and the 12, they both show us two very different ways that we can approach Jesus. The first way, the way of the multitude, it leads to something. It leads to a weak faith in which we fall away in the midst of hardship. But the way of the 12, the way of the disciples, their approach, it actually leads to something very different. It leads to a faith that is strong, that is steadfast, a faith that actually comforts us in seasons of disappointment and discouragement. So let's take a look at that first approach, the approach of the multitude in the text. And I wanna call this approach uh, seeking Jesus for his hand. Seeking Jesus for his hand. And let's take a look starting in verse 25 at that approach. It says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He'll give it to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So this multitude, they finally find Jesus after searching for him feverishly, after walking miles and miles. I imagine this group of people is exhausted, sweaty, and they finally found him, and they're expecting him to give them some kind of consolation or comfort. But he doesn't do that. Notice Jesus' words, he sounds even a little bit harsh. He says, you are not seeking me because you saw signs. No, you're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. So what is Jesus doing here? What is he saying to the multitude? Uh, well, he's saying to them, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. He's actually questioning the motivation, what has brought them to him. And I think Jesus is questioning the motivations of the multitude because he understood something. He understood that the motivation for them seeking him was not really about him at all. It was about them and what he could do for them. And he understood that this way of seeking him out would lead to something. It would lead to a weak faith that would not last. You see, friends, when we seek Jesus' hand, only what he can do for us and not him, it leads to a faith that is weak because it's never really been rooted in the love of God. It was rooted in the love of what God can provide, which are two very different things. And as soon as we feel like God is not providing, we walk away. And I think we all struggle with this. We all struggle with seeking Jesus' hand. And this is not the only relationship where we struggle with seeking what someone can do for us and not them. In fact, I think this can easily be seen in the marriage context. I just want you to imagine this with me for a moment. A husband and a wife, they sit down to a beautiful dinner and they're having a nice conversation. And the wife, she looks at her husband and she says, 
honey, could you just tell me why you love me? Could you tell me why you love me? And he says, yeah, I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you are a great provider for our family. I love you because you're a great mom and you're a great cook. Now, if that woman has any wisdom or any wherewithal, she'll realize something. That her husband, he's not actually saying that he loves her. He's saying that he loves things about her or things that she does. And if you take that statement, that thing that the husband said to its logical end, you can think to yourself, okay, well, what happens one day when I'm older and I'm not quite as beautiful? Right? Proverbs says, beauty is fleeting because it is, it doesn't last. Or what happens when I lose my job and I'm no longer a good provider for our family? Or what happens when I blow up on the kids and I act like a terrible mom? What then? You see, the only proper way, husbands, listen up, the only proper way to answer that question is to say, I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. You see, this is the root. This is what true love is rooted in. It's not loving things about your wife. It's loving her for her. And this is the same approach that God desires for us in his relationship with him. And the beautiful thing is, this is what he does in his relationship with us. He doesn't love us because what we perform or provide. He doesn't even need us. He loves us because he loves us. Now, um, this really takes us to the next approach we see in the scripture to Jesus. And this next approach is the approach of the 12, which is to approach Jesus not for his hand or what he can do for us, but to approach Jesus for his face, for his face. So let's take a look at what this approach looks like, starting in verse 29, it says this. It says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So, they said, or, so then they said to him, what sign do you do that we may believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. This multitude has approached the Son of God. They are literally standing face to face with the God of the universe, the God in the flesh. And he says, I want to give you life. And the word, the Greek word here for life in this passage is this word zoe, 
which means eternal life. And this word in the New Testament, it not only refers to a quantity of life, but it refers to a quality of life. And not a life that begins after our lives in this world end. No, a life that begins today. You see, God wants to give us this quantity and quality of life today, right now, through Jesus. And Jesus, he looks at this crowd and he says, I want to give you life. And notice their response. They say, no, we just want a loaf of bread. That's what we want, Jesus. You see, Jesus, he's offering them something so much more than they asked for. And Jesus, he's offering us so much more than just what he can do for us. Friends, he's offering us himself. It's basically like God has set up this beautiful banquet where we have everything imaginable that we could ever ask or want. And instead of entering into the banquet, we pick up the McDonald's cheeseburger instead. And we're so quick to do this. We're so quick to sacrifice what is best for what is better. And that's exactly what we do when we seek Jesus for his hand and not for his face. Now, as I was thinking about this idea of seeking Jesus' face, of seeking him for himself, I was brought to many characters throughout Scripture. The beautiful thing about the Bible, friends, is we have so many models, so many awesome men and women of God that sought God for him, first and foremost over everything else. And as I was thinking about these different models, the Lord kept bringing me back to the end of John chapter 6, to the end of this chapter. So Jesus, he's going to go on to keep talking to the multitudes, and he's going to say, okay, if you really want to receive this eternal life, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to eat of my body and drink of my blood. He says, you all want eternal life? You find it in me. And it says that this was a hard teaching. And the multitudes, they all walk away. They all walk away. And Jesus, you can tell that this actually gets to the Son of God. He feels it. The crowds walk away. And he turns to the disciples and he asks them this question. He says, are you going to leave as well? Are you going to leave as well? And I love Peter's response. I love his response. He says, Lord, where will we go? Where will we go? You hold the keys to the kingdom. You see, friends, the disciples, they understood something. That Jesus himself, he was the answer to our deep spiritual need. Not what he could provide. The disciples realized that Jesus was the answer, not the next meal of bread. They got this and they understood it and that's why they stuck with him to the end. And that's why they had a faith that bloistered them in times of hardship and pain. 
Now, as I thought about these two approaches, uh, needless to say, this past week, I've been pretty convicted. Because believe it or not, even though I'm a pastor, most of my relationships, if I'm honest with you, I approach for selfish reasons. I'm sure my wife could give you an amen on that one. And what I've realized is that there's a much better, a much healthier way, the way of the 12, the way that leads to life and to the fullness of our faith. In fact, what I've realized is I never really knew my neighbor, Elizabeth. I never really knew her. In fact, I ended up moving away from my hometown as a young boy, and I didn't talk to Elizabeth for 25 years. And something very interesting happened. While I was deployed in the Middle East as an army chaplain, I got a letter from Elizabeth. And the letter said, David, I just want you to know that my husband and I were praying for you, that God protects you and brings you home safely to your family. You see, friends, I realized that there was much more to Elizabeth than just a pink Power Wheels car. She had much more to offer. And the same thing is true about Jesus. He has much more to offer than anything he can provide. He has himself. And that's why, friends, it's so much better when we seek after Jesus, not to seek him for his hand, but for his face. Thanks be to God.